You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hello Pilgrims, hope you're keeping well and thanks for joining me this fine day on The Myth Pilgrim. We have another stop today in the brilliant world of Pixar, going inside out into one of the most thought-provoking explorations of human emotions in recent times. This film is a creative genius and manages to touch both 7-year-olds and 70-year-olds, both men and women alike. The story of Inside Out was actually a collaboration of Pixar's creative minds with two leading emotional psychologists, Paul Ekman and Deja Keltner, birthing a film that I think the West desperately needs. Far too long in our culture, the place of emotions has been eyed with suspicion, oftentimes pitched as the enemy of reason, the other control centre of our lives. This unhealthy head versus heart or reasons versus emotions battle has resulted in all sorts of casualties and misunderstandings and mental illnesses with very real life consequences. And we in the church haven't been excluded from this, which is why I felt inspired to do some deep diving into the wisdom that Inside Out offers us, even while discussing differences it may have to our own theology. But first, as usual, let's do our best to summarise the story in a nutshell. Inside Out centres on the life of a 11-year-old girl called Riley, as she navigates her family moving from Minnesota to San Francisco. In some ways, she isn't actually the main character because we spend most of the movie inside her head, where we focus on five other characters who are all emotions. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust and anger. In the movie, their job is to try and help Riley cope with adjusting to her new life. These five guys operate how Riley feels, and in the movie, this is symbolised by them standing behind a control panel inside the headquarters of her mind. Throughout the day, they react to Riley's outer circumstances, and if the emotional content is strong enough, they form into memories, which are symbolised as tiny little coloured balls. The most important memories, called core memories, themselves power up five islands of personality, that each reflect a different aspect of Riley's personality, such as family and friends and goofball island. Okay, there's a lot more I could already say here to describe Pixar's genius in capturing the psychological concepts like the unconscious and brain freezes and abstract thought and trains of thought and childhood idealism, but that probably won't be necessary for this summary. What I will focus on is that each emotion has a defined purpose in Riley's life. Joy makes sure she is happy, fear makes sure she is safe, Anger keeps her life fair, and disgust prevents her from being poisoned, both physically and socially. However, no one understands the purpose of sadness, as all she seems to do is make Riley feel bad, and turn her once happy memories into sad ones. As a result, sadness is constantly ignored and kept from using the headquarters uh, control panel, especially by Joy, who prefers to keep Riley happy as much as possible. At the start of the film, it is very clear that Joy is the boss of the other emotions, making it her job to keep Riley happy at all costs. 
However, the drama of the movie is really about how Joy learns to realize that all the emotions have a place in Riley's well-being, especially sadness. The bulk of the movie actually focuses on Joy and sadness accidentally getting sucked out of headquarters and into the recesses of Riley's mind, and them learning to reconcile with one another. All this time in the outer world, Riley is struggling to navigate her new life in the new city, going to school, making friends, fighting with parents, etc. By the end of the story though, it is clear that Joy recognizes the need for sadness, and that sadness in fact becomes the most important teacher for Joy. Riley herself learns that sadness can be a part of Joy, and as she does this, a precious new type of core memory is formed the first of which would shape her growth into a young woman. Whew, as you can tell, Inside Out is a pretty profound and complex story that touches on some pretty uh, significant themes. As we now go inside Inside Out, I want to structure our exploration into three main sections. The first section will be a quick introduction to the place of emotions in our faith, with a particular focus on why our humanity is essential for the spiritual life. The second section will focus on why we should especially give attention to difficult emotions, exploring how one emotion can often mask a deeper unmet need underneath, as Riley discovers. The final section will explore the central theme of Inside Out, the coming together of sadness and joy. And to do this, we'll explore the moving scene where Bing Bong, Riley's make-believe friend, sacrifices himself in order for Riley to move on. Mm. Okay, let's do this. Part 1. The Place of Emotions in the Spiritual Life you know, when it comes to emotions, there have been historically two opposite extremes in Christianity, both of which are equally as harmful. One extreme is to completely squash out all emotions and try and live out our faith purely through our heads or through repetition of mindless rituals. The result of this is a church full of wooden people who know about God but are lifeless and at worst hypocritical who appear well-mannered and nice on the surface, but deep inside have suppressed emotional storms, seething anger, jealousy, pain or shame. This suppression approach to emotions is of course unhealthy. The other extreme though is to only base our faith on our feelings and our passions and leave out the mind altogether. This slavery to emotions can lead to all sorts of distortions about God, where feelings override sound judgment, where passion overrides discernment. To sacrifice reason in favour of emotions can lead to superstition at best, or slavery to our passions at worst. This extreme of course is also unhealthy, because as the famous saying goes, emotions are great servants, but terrible masters. Mm. Interestingly, Inside Out actually portrays the dangers of both these emotional extremes, if you have the eyes to see it. While Riley's suppression of sadness is like the theme of the movie, and we know that this is bad, we also see a scene where she totally loses control of her emotions, her anger, at the dinner table, which we also intuitively know is bad. Of course, somewhere in the middle of these two extremes is something more balanced, where emotions play a healthy role in our well-being without being overly dominant. 
For us Christians, the exemplar model is of course Jesus of Nazareth, a man who felt deeply but also thought clearly, who was moved by compassion while still acting prudently. Jesus had the sound mind of the greatest teacher ever, and yet, delighted in the wonder of children, grew angry at the Sanhedrin and cried at the loss of a close friend. Jesus clearly had emotions, but one thing you couldn't say about Jesus was that he was enslaved to them. For if he was, he would have fled from Gethsemane, shunned the cross, and fired his slow disciples ten times over. What is the significance of Jesus' example? In summary, it is this. Our humanity matters in the spiritual life. Indeed, our human nature is essential to our holiness. To warn us against over-spiritualizing our faith, the great St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us that grace perfects nature. What he means by this is that God's grace doesn't override or destroy our human nature, rather it perfects it and elevates it. Think of your human nature like a stained glass window. It's inherently beautiful and precious, but it is necessarily incomplete without sunlight shining through it. Think of how glorious the window becomes when sun does come through it. See, what sunlight is for the stained glass window is what grace is for our humanity. It brings it to life, animates it, and perfects it. In other words, if we cannot accept and embrace our humanity, we cannot embrace God. Period. And all our human faculties, including both our emotions and our minds, and our bodies, and our memories, and our wills, etc., are all vehicles of holiness. For in fact, God can only communicate to us and be known to us through our humanity. Grace perfects nature. And if we have any doubt about this, recall the example of Jesus himself. Part 2, giving attention to all your emotions, especially the difficult ones. Perhaps the central wisdom of Inside Out is that all our emotions are important and all have a part to play, including, of course, sadness. Notice that for most of the film, Joy considers herself the leader of the pack, and while most of us cringe at Joy's upbeat positive enthusiasm and refusal to acknowledge the other emotions, might I suggest that this actually reflects how many Christians think we should live. We probably all relate with Joy a little, believing that if we're allowed to feel anything at all, it must be Joy, banishing away more negative emotions like anger and jealousy and guilt and sadness, though they are sinful, are they not? But while it may be prudent to sometimes suppress some negative emotions in the short term, for example, if you're angry with someone and your anger might tip you over the edge and lead you to say something hurtful, it is never a good long-term strategy to suppress. And here are two reasons why. The first reason is that God is truth. And if we deny the truth of how we feel, we are also in some ways denying God. How are you feeling truthfully right now? We have to trust Jesus when he says that the truth will set you free, for this applies even more so when a truth is hard to face. But some of you may ask, aren't some of my emotions inherently sinful, like lust and rage and jealousy and so forth? A good question, and here's the answer. No. No emotions are sinful in themselves, 
However, our emotions can lead us to act sinfully if we permit them to. Let me say that again for emphasis. No emotions are in themselves sinful, but they can lead us to act in sinful ways if we let them. Can you see the distinction? Emotions simply are emotions, they are neutral. God gave them to us in order to help us act, but they in themselves cannot make us act, for that requires the will also. Hence, to simply acknowledge some negative emotions in you, like jealousy, can never in itself be sinful, because you're simply acknowledging what's already inside you. Jealousy only becomes sinful when you act out of it with your will, for example, if you slander another person. See, acknowledging your emotions is different even from indulging in your emotions. For example, for a person to acknowledge they have lust in them doesn't mean that they then daydream and muse over it, for that can become rather risky, as you'd guess. Rather, acknowledging it actually allows them to present it before God, not in a sort of beat-myself-up type of way, but in a detached, humble way, almost saying, Here is what's in my heart, Lord. What shall we do with it? I've sometimes found it helpful to give difficult emotions a funny name too, so that I can acknowledge its ongoing presence without feeling threatened. The second reason why suppressing our emotions is a bad idea is because emotions are complex and the presenting emotion is often masking another emotion underneath. This really is the great lesson and revelation of Inside Out, where Riley learns that embracing sadness actually unlocks joy. While her childhood emotions were all simple and one-coloured per se, her maturing adult emotions were in fact multicoloured and complex. This truth has great resonance with us. Take for example two of the most suppressed and misunderstood emotions for Christians, anger and guilt. Have you ever considered that anger is only ever the presenting emotion, and that anger is always masking another emotion underneath, like hurt, or loneliness, or fear, or helplessness? Hence, if we were to simply squash anger out of our consciousness, we would also lose all the other emotional data underneath it, stuff that in fact deserves our attention if we are to remain sane. See, we never get away with ignoring anything in our psyche. It will come back and bite us and manifest in our lives in other strange ways. Depression, weight gain, sleeplessness, destructive thoughts, passive aggression, physical sickness, pimples, just to name a few. Same goes with the emotion of guilt. We ignore guilt at our own peril, for true guilt always arises out of our conscience, stirred on by the Spirit to be that small voice of God, compelling us to repent. By refusing to acknowledge true guilt, we create a gulf between God and ourselves. The other reason why we ignore guilt at our own peril is because sometimes our guilt can actually be what's called false guilt. To illustrate, I recently had a parishioner talk to me about her decades-long wrestling with guilt every time she didn't send money to her alcoholic brother overseas. Of course, she was worried that if she did, he would spend all the money on alcohol, which is a fair assessment. Every time he'd beg her, though, she'd wrestle all night with the same sort of guilt, and she was sick of this wrestling. 
However, through a five-minute conversation I had with her, she recognized that she had been wrestling with false guilt all her life, a guilt coming not from God or conscience, but from the enemy. And just like that, she was liberated from any more pangs of false guilt at refusing her brother money. See, this woman was set free from her false guilt by first paying attention to it and seeing what lay underneath it. If only she had done this 30 years ago, she would have saved so much heartache and headache and strain upon her own marriage. Dear friends, give your emotions loving attention, especially the difficult ones. If necessary, reach out to others to help you do this, and do not be afraid that doing so will push people away. If anything, you may very well discover that your vulnerability actually creates intimacy with others, as Riley soon realizes with her estranged parents. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favorite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. Part 3. The Sacrifice of Bing Bong Now, many of you who have watched Inside Out would probably have multiple scenes which unlocked the tear ducts. But the scene that did it for me most was the sacrifice of Bing Bong scene, and it is quite significant indeed. So, Bing Bong is the imaginary friend created by Riley when she was three, I think. A sort of stuffed animal elephant slash cat thing that sings cheerily and promises to take Riley to the moon in his rainbow-powered rocket wagon. We first meet him wandering the recesses of Riley's mind, worried he was now useless and would soon be forgotten. In this particular scene, however, both himself and Joy have fallen into the dark pit of the memory dump, where old memories are dropped and eventually forgotten forever. Despite Bing Bong and Joy's many attempts to blast back to the surface in their rocket wagon, they cannot make the distance and tumble back into the memory dump pit again and again. That is, until Bing Bong realizes that he was weighing the wagon down and that only Joy alone could continue onto the surface in the wagon. And so, in their final attempt at blasting off, he leaps out of the cart, enabling Joy to continue on without him. Joy makes it this time, and as she looks back into the memory dump, we see Bing Bong waving to her sadly, before himself disappearing in the darkness, forgotten forever. This scene is as bittersweet as it is moving. The whole sequence leading up to it is an illustration of how emotions like sadness gives way to joy, and loss gives way to freedom. Let's first remember that Bing Bong is actually a good thing for Riley, but it is not a final good thing. In order for Riley to grow up into an adult, the idealism of childhood joy needs to be let go of, in order to grasp a more mature joy fitting for an adult, or at least for a teen. Hence, a key part of Riley's maturity is the willing sacrifice of her childhood self in order to grow up. Importantly, Joy alone could not help Riley realize this, and in many ways, Joy's perpetual bubbliness was keeping Riley infantile and immature. 
It was rather Sadness who had saddled up to the crying Bing Bong, comforting him, giving him the permission to grieve, so that he could let childhood go. Can you see the echoes of this scene for the spiritual life? This scene captures something of the heart of the gospel. The idea that from death comes new life, from dying to the old self comes the rising of the new self. Holiness has a cost, and growth in the spiritual life is often not about gaining more and knowing more, but rather about letting go and unlearning what we have learned. What is the bing bong that's holding you back and preventing your spiritual growth? On another level still, this scene demonstrates what the virtue of joy is and isn't. Biblical joy isn't perpetual sprightly happiness, but rather a joy that journeys alongside and is kissed by sorrow. Our joy comes from accepting that sadness may still be part of our lives, but in this same sadness is also the birthplace of joy, a joy that cannot be taken away. For we hold that in our sorrow is the presence of the crucified and risen Lord, whose presence changes everything, even our sad memories. The cross that we hold before us always is a reminder that our joy is made perfect in our sorrow. As we arrive at the end of this episode, I am acutely aware that I've barely scratched the surface of what I wanted to say about both inside out and emotions in general. But I hope I have at least made you curious enough to do your own explorations into emotions and their place in the spiritual life. As such, I will leave a list of some recommended books on the website and in the show notes if you wanted to delve deeper into the subject. I do encourage you to watch Inside Out if you haven't already, and if you do, do it with others. Have a conversation about it with your friends afterwards, as it's a conversation our culture desperately needs to be having. Okay, dear friends, thank you again. Signing out for now. Until next time, journey forth, take care, and God bless.